We are going to get through a handful of chapters today in Job. We are in chapter 38. Guess who's coming to dinner? Who haven't you heard from yet in all of this book? Yay, we have not heard from God yet. Now, let me ask this question. If God had simply spoken about 35 chapters ago, couldn't we have just cleared all of this up and spared ourselves some of this aggravation? Yes, but he didn't, which means there was a very good reason not to. And believe it or not, those good reasons are not always good, if that makes any sense. What I mean by that is they're good reasons, but they're not good from a human perspective. Meaning, because God did not intervene, we got to see the futility of the arguments of the friends. While that's not good to have to deal with that and see their failures, wouldn't you like to know that about yourself and about your friends and have that revealed to you as you deal with these people? Yes. Yes, you would. Wouldn't you like to go through the hard work to actually get to Elihu revealing the sin of Job and where his trust and faith actually is? While that has not been a fun process, is that not a good work to go through? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is. Or how about Elihu himself being faithful in spite of the fact that all of these elders around him are walking train wrecks of theology and worldly influence. It's good to know that and to see that in the midst of that faithlessness, there is a faithfulness that is on full display. Now, question. What should God say? (laughs) And and I'm serious about that because... The temptation would be, don't you want God to go like bullet point all of Job's questions and answer them? Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you love to have that? Um, Prepare yourselves. You're going to be very, very disappointed. He's not going to do any of that. Um, Remember what Elihu did last week. Elihu doesn't answer Job's objections. He points to what? Perspective. He gets your eyes off of you and understanding who God is and then looking at your life in light of that. God's going to take that same idea and he's just going to dial it up to 11. And we are going to do the same thing on steroids from the ultimate perspective. So it's time to ask Job the important question that again should have been asked 30 some odd chapters ago. Job, who do you think you are? It's going to be fun. Let's dive right in. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Time out. I don't think it's a coincidence that the whirlwind shows up for God to answer out of. If you go back exactly one chapter, uh, Elihu's speech, listen closely to the thunder of his voice, the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Under the whole heaven he lets it loose and his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, and to the downpour and the rain, he says, be strong. So God fulfilling what has been warned about and making sure that everybody understands exactly who it is that they're dealing with here. So God answered and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God just called him ignorant. And let's be honest. He's right. (laughs) Dumbest thing I'll say all day. You ready? God's right, guys. (laughs) Who'd have thunk that one? Right, you know. 
But isn't this been, hasn't this been the consistent problem? Is everybody is wise in their own eyes. Everybody is brilliant when seen from, you know, themselves. No one has taken into consideration that their ideas are supposed to stop at the end of their nose and that they're supposed to take something else into consideration. Remember, we've read this several times as we've gone through this book, but what is the goal of wise living? It's something like Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I mean, why did the three, why, the, the, the three, why did the three friends stop talking? Because Job was wise in his own eyes and had justified himself. Why did Elihu wait? Because I wanted to see wisdom. Why does Job keep arguing? Because he sees them as failing. In other words, everybody's talking about who? Themselves and their own ideas. What have we been continually saying? Time out. Take a deep breath. Think. Now, how many times have I warned you about this, Christian? Why are you doing that? Whatever that may happen to be. Why do you think like that? Whatever that may happen to be. You got a Bible verse? You got a biblical principle? Are you standing upon a testimony from God? Because if you're not, as the song warns you, all other ground is sinking sand. That's literally what is going on here. Job's not going to have a leg to stand on because he's been standing on a foundation that he himself has built. And when the trials come, what will happen to it? It's not going to end well. And that's part of the problem. That's why Job's questions don't get answered. At the end of the day, they don't need to be answered because they are built upon the lie of his own selfish pride and idolatry. What's the best way to deal with pride and idolatry? To indulge in it or to expose it and shine a spotlight so bright that you can't miss it? Yeah, let's go with option number two, because that's what God's going to go with. And again, dumbest thing I'll say all day, God's right. So let's follow what he does. Now, gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you will instruct me. That is the biblical equivalent of telling someone to put your big boy pants on. <laughs> yeah, you never want God to tell you that. All right, go put your pants on, we got to talk. Or, or husbands, when your wife looks at you and goes, we need to talk. No, no, we don't, because we never need to talk about anything that I want to talk about. <laughs> it's one of those rules of life. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements, since you know? Who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Ah, proof that sarcasm is biblical. <laughs> you know all these things you're so smart why don't you tell me what it was like when i created hmm? how's that going to work out for job see this is this is an effective line of questioning because it automatically puts who in the right perspective puts god and job in their right places job immediately feels really 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 tiny and that's a good thing. You should not feel large in the presence of a holy and righteous God. You should recognize who is God and who is not. Forget that, and the trap door of idolatry and pride is wide open. Remember that, and life goes into perspective. This is one of those things that we've talked about 
over and over and over again. We're going to talk about this until Jesus comes back or I completely lose my voice, okay? Understanding the perspective of your life. Thinking through the why of things. And this is why the room being unbalanced. I feel like I'm neglecting you guys, so I keep looking this way. So this is just going to drive me nuts all day. Sorry. I'll turn like the... <laughs> See all the things I think about while trying to talk to you guys? It's amazing I get anything done. It's an absolute miracle. But keeping the perspective on your life, keeping things in their right place, understanding that it's not just about what. This is the mistake we make all the time when we have people who are lost in sin or people that are struggling with sin problems, anything that it might be, is we always try to focus on the what. Stop doing that. Do this instead. Train yourself on this habit. All of those things are external and what's. What you need to train yourself on are the internals and the whys. You're falling into that sin. Why? What's the allure? What's the accomplishment? Why do you love it? Why are you forsaking the grace of God to indulge in this destruction? Why? I don't know what those answers are all the time. You know who does? The one doing it. That's why you have to have that uncomfortable conversation with that person in the mirror, is to evaluate the why of your life. That's the curb on behavior in the world. We don't change from the outside in. It's the old, what's the old line? You fake it till you make it, right? Because eventually the you in here comes flying out. It can't work. You have to change the you in here in order to change the behavior. Remember, that's always our, that's always our equation, right? The gospel changes the heart, which changes the desires, which changes the way you think about the world, which then changes the way you act in the world. Because I promise you, you act in accordance with how you think about the world, and you think about the world in accordance with what you expect and want from the world. You want to get that action changed, you have to change the desires at their core inside. That's what God is doing right here for Job, is putting who you are in perspective. Because let's be honest, right now, after 20 chapters of complaining, do you think Job wants to ask God questions and get a trial? (laughs) That's why this book doesn't go with God showing up, gird up your loins like a man and I will ask and you will answer. And Job go, good, it's about time. See, if that's how it was written, you'd be laughing because you'd be like, no, that, that doesn't belong in here because that's not how these interactions ever go. Because Job is now confronted immediately with who he is and who God is. All of his thoughts are immediately put into perspective. How many of those words do you think Job wants back? <laughs> Just about all of them. Now, here's the, here's the warning of life. How many words do you want back? How many of them can you get back? Be patient. Be wise. Think evaluate, understand the why of your action. We live in a society and we live in a world that values and incentivizes that when it comes to thinking and behaving and speaking and acting. Now, now, we got to, quick, don't think about it. My goodness, if you were like me and you grew up in the 80s and 90s and everybody who had a Nike shoe, shirt, what what was the slogan? Just do it. Biblical wisdom says what? No, you don't just do that. You stop. You think. But I might miss out. Yeah, you might. You also may not fall off a cliff. That's always a good thing, right? Think, evaluate, be patient. So God continues. 
Who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garment, in thick darkness its swaddling band. I placed the boundaries on it, and set a bolt in doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no farther, and here shall your proud waves stop. See, that's a, that's a good example. How much control do you have over the ocean? <laughs> there is no more helpless feeling than trying to stop or control wild water. I mean, I, I lived in an apartment that flooded with like two inches. Imagine how much work and effort it was to keep two inches of water out of an apartment. It's all consuming. It's constant. You can't take a break. You can't leave it alone. You have to be diligent always. Now imagine you're out on the waves and the water is hundreds of feet deep and the waves are bigger than the boat. You are immediately very, very aware of how helpless and how weak you actually are. And God looks at that and says, oh yeah, those waves, they answer to me. They answer to me. How big and awesome and mighty is God. This is an important understanding. This is who he is. Daniel chapter 2. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. An understanding of who God is. And by the way, there's a reason why I love that out of chapter 2 of Daniel. This is one of those lessons for reading your Bible that's always helpful. Read Daniel, especially the first three chapters, and notice how many times Nebuchadnezzar gets called the king. You'll get sick of paying attention to how many times Nebuchadnezzar is called the king because it's like, and then the king, Nebuchadnezzar the king, called the men, and they stood before Nebuchadnezzar the king. And the king said unto them, it's like, I get it. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's the king. He's in charge here. I'm with you. Nebuchadnezzar's the king of Babylon. Is he in charge here? That's the lesson of the first few chapters of Daniel is that he's not. It is the king of Babylon versus the king of creation. Who's going to win? Second dumbest thing I'll say all day. God wins, guys. <laughs> God's right and God wins, right? There you go. <laughs> Thus endeth the lecture, right? Those understandings matter because how often do you look at your world and go, oh, I cannot believe this place. We can't get anything. It's hopeless. You've never said that, have you? You've never once turned on the news, looked at the depravity around you, and gone, man, there's no hope for this place. Al contraire, mon frère. Who runs this place? Who is in charge here? Who has power? Who has authority? This is why the weapons of your warfare are what they are. Understanding that you live in service not to this world and not to your own accomplishment, but you live in service to the king of creation who has enlisted you by his great power, who has redeemed you from the pit of death and has set you to work in his kingdom. Now, therefore, see your world differently. That's the warning that you get. That's why Job's not going to get his questions answered. He's not seeing the world rightly. And when you see the world wrongly and you ask questions, you don't ask good questions. I know this is the lie that your teachers told you. It's a lie. There is such a thing as a stupid question. Okay? There is. There is. You've all asked them. I've asked them. You know how you know? Because the minute you ask it, you went, Ugh. as soon as you get the answer, you're just like, that was a stupid question. What was I? I, I wasn't thinking. 
What happens when the world, built on the faulty foundation, tries to look at the world and explain things? They can't come up with the answer because they don't even know what questions to ask. Now, Christian, again, there is hope because what separates you evaluating and asking these questions from them, not evaluating and asking wrong questions? It's the accomplishments of Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit based on his redeeming work. That's it. There's no other bridge. So we don't look at them and go, can you believe these hopeless people? Can you believe us? We're the really hopeless ones, and he has redeemed us, and he has strengthened us, and he has set us to work. How can we proclaim anything else? That's where your perspective is so important. Now, we are going to summarize the rest of this chapter because it's all 41 verses, and we will be here for the rest of the day. And you guys want to go to lunch at some point, I'm sure. So can Job command creation? Let's just answer that question right off the bat. Can Job command creation? No, no, he cannot. Verses 12 through 15, talking about the morning, he can't control that. 16 through 18, talking about the sea again, he can't control that. Uh, 19 through 24, where does the light live, by the way? (laughs) You ever tried to figure that one out? It's again why I love Ecclesiastes, because Ecclesiastes talks about living for this world is chasing after the wind. And I always encourage you to go home and try that. You know, when it gets a nice windy day, we live in the Midwest, you'll get those on occasion. Go, go run it down and grab hold of that wind for me and see how that works out for you. Likewise, go find the source of the light. <laughs> so there you <laughs> Your pastor just encouraged you to go to the light. <laughs> Sorry. Don't go to the light. No, don't go, don't go to the light. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Chase after the light, but don't go to the light. There you go. Uh, 25 through 30, can Job control the weather? No. Can Job command the stars, 31 through 33? No. 34 through 38, can Job command the storms? No. 39 through 41, can Job command the animals? You ever felt more helpless than having a dog who won't listen? For years, we had a beagle. There is no creature, I am convinced of this, on planet Earth that is less interested in what you want than a beagle who has found an interesting scent. That dog's nose runs everything. I am convinced that a beagle's brain is half nose. Like, that dog would get a a scent, and it's like, Daisy, Daisy, (sighs) grab her. No, no, Daisy. That dog would just look at you like, what? I'm working here. Do you mind? And just go on. We like to think we're in charge of things. What do we really command? If you don't believe me, ask the, uh, the lion tamers and the people who train the tigers. What will they always remind you of, even the circus, the, the circus performers? At the end of the day, as nice as it is right now, it's still what? It's still a wild animal, and I need to be very, very careful. That's why there's signs all over the national parks telling you not to do what? Yeah, don't feed the animals. Oh, look, it's a sweet little buffalo. That thing weighs 2,000 pounds and will step on you without even thinking or caring. Don't feed the animals. All right? I know you didn't need to be told that, but there you go. Now, why are we asking all of these questions? What is God driving at? In the grand scheme of life, Job, what are you? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, are you a significant, powerful, wise person? You're, you're borderline pretty close to doing what? Nothing. You are basically nothing. Now, is that where God is going to leave him? No. No, it is not, and that's not where you should be left either. Remember this, though, Christian. The starting point of the world is thinking of yourself rightly and realizing that in the grand scheme, in and of ourselves, we are nothing. So, chapter 39, God continues. 
Do you know the time the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the deer? Can you count the months they fulfill? Do you know the time they give birth? They kneel down, they bring forth their young. They get rid of their labor pains. Their offspring become strong. They grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return to them. It's a good little description. You ever, you ever seen wild animals give birth? <laughs> no, no you haven't. We see it in a zoo on occasion, right? If you've ever had critters at home get pregnant, you know, dogs or cats or whatever. But it's not like you drive down the side of the road and there's the deer giving birth on the side of the highway. And you're like, oh, look. Like, all of a sudden, you just show up one day. No matter how many they get hit every year, what's going to happen next year? There's going to be more deer. Where'd they come from? I don't know. How'd that happen? Well, you know how it happened. When did that happen? I don't know. You just know that what? There's now more of them. We have no idea about so many things, when they happen, how they're happening, what's going on in the world around us. Who knows all these things? God. It's not just power. It's wisdom. It's knowledge. It's insight. It's seeing. Uh, Deuteronomy 29.29, good verse to remember. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of his law. What do you base your decisions on, Christian? We've, we've, we've made this, uh, we've made this um, analogy before. Ooh, I'll borrow the map because I actually have something in front of me. You ready? So, to the map! You can see the, the, Dan did an awesome job. He's not here to get his kudos. He's, he's traveling this weekend. But he did an awesome job of making this topographical so you can see you know, divisions of the ground and stuff like that. I want to ask you a very, very important question. You ready? What's here? Yeah, but what's behind it? What's underneath it? You don't know. You're guessing. You don't know. What's the point? Is the point for you to sit here and stare at this black spot and wonder what's there? No, the point is for you to look at the map and actually see the borders, see the towns, see the divisions. There's a purpose to that, Christian. We spend so much of our lives trying to figure out the stuff we can't figure out. Rather than building our lives on the things that we know to be true, this is a problem. We have been given a word. Hebrews 4. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are openly and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We know what is commanded of us. We know who has commanded. We know where we can go to find the truth. And yet we spend all of our time trying to do what? Figuring out the stuff that we don't know. Trust me, you've never once encountered a ministry that spent its entire life trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back, have you? No, that, those never exist, right? That dude on TV be like, look, look, according to what's in the New York Times, Jesus is coming back on Thursday, September 32nd. There it is. I said it. It's coming through. <laughs> Write that one down, right? I mean, there were, what was that? Oh, how many, well, how many years ago was that? Was that two or three years ago we had all the blood moon stuff? See, some of you were like, oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> was that 2020? Was that 17? Was it that long ago? Oh, when did, when did the world get so old? When did I get so old? <laughs> but this is, what do we keep doing? We're so interested by it. It was five or six years before that, we had the Harold Camping dude, right? Like, the world's going to end in May. Oops, I meant October. Yeah, <laughs> got to get a new plug in. We spend all of our time trying to figure out stuff we have no business trying to figure out because we don't want to deal with what's actually there. We don't want to have the conversation about the why of our lives. We don't want to think through what we're doing and who we're doing it for. So we spend all of our times being busy. Don't be busy. 
be productive. Think, evaluate, slow and patient and accomplishing. One of the, one of the lessons I'm trying to teach both of my children, it's a lesson we try to teach um, baseball players when I was a coach. Slow is fast. Slow is fast. What happens when you try to do things in a hurry? <laughs> huh. this, is, uh, this is what always happens to uh, new people in a restaurant. Is you, you, there's a system in place. Why is the guy who's been doing it for five years fast at it? He's been doing it for five years. It just, he's not thinking. He's just doing it. What happens when you've never done it before? And now you try to do it quickly. Don't do it quickly. Do it right. And then the next time you do it, you'll do it a little bit faster. And the next time you do it, you'll do it a little bit faster. And the next time you do it, you'll do it a little bit faster. Get in a hurry, you'll make mistakes. Christian, this is your life as well. The world wants this. <sighs> Why? Why are we doing this? Why are we living like this? Who are we living for? What's the perspective? What's the point? Slow is fast. This has always been true. We get, trust me, you've never been wrong when you spoke in a hurry, right? <laughs> don't laugh you tell on yourself <laughs> you've never once just spouted off real fast and been like "Ooh, now that i have like this much more information i really really want that thing back slow is fast this is how we evaluate in life understanding that we have an understanding that we have a command we have a foundation build on it and when we don't have a command and we don't have a foundation we should do what Tread very lightly. That's why I always warn you guys, look, when I come around the podium, where are we? We're off the notes. Do what? Be careful. Be wary. I'm building on what we know. But is it quite possible I'm going to build wrongly? Yes. Even I can be wrong on occasion. I know that's a terrible thought for you to have, but it's okay. <laughs> we, I know it's horrifying to me, so you know, I, try to, I try not to think about it. But that means we should be what? Careful and evaluating, understanding. That's why I tell you all the time. When I say something dumb or I start telling you stuff that's not in Scripture, what do you do? What's their drill? Throw something and run screaming from the room, right? We're going to have drills. I keep telling you. I'm warning you now. We're going to set off a buzzer one day and you're going, ah! <laughs> It'll be good for you. But that's what's going on here for Job. So good example here. Verse 5. Who sent out the wild donkey free, and who loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom I gave the wilderness for a home, and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city, the shoutings of the, driver, of, the, of the driver he does not hear. He explores the mountains for his pasture and searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you, or will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in a furrow with ropes, or will, the harrow, or will he harrow the valleys for after you? Will you trust him because his strength is great and leave your labor to him? Will you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it from the threshing floor? I, I love the example of the donkey. You ever, you ever done the Grand Canyon uh, tours or know anybody who has? You know why they don't use horses, right? Because you can make horses do stuff that they shouldn't do. Horses are really obedient animals despite their size and their power. And that's why people that do uh, mountain living much prefer mules and donkeys. Because a horse, you tell it to go down that path. Even if that path is sketchy and he's going to slip and it could end badly, that horse is going to be like, okay, you said go that way, so I'm going that way. That mule or that donkey is going to be like, no, 
No, dude, can you can you see that? No. You can be a complete nincompoop and be like, we need to go that way. And the donkey's like, you have bumped your head and lost your mind. No, we do not need to go that way. That's why the phrase stubborn as a mule. Because you can beat it, you can curse at it, you can kick it. That thing will sit down and look at you and say, no, absolutely not. When God tells him to go, what does he do? He goes. When God gives him his pasture land, he goes, thank you. When God says you don't go farther than that, he goes, good deal, I'm in. In other words, all the things you don't control, all the things you don't command are the things that God oversees. Once again, the point, who do you think you are? Now he continues on, um, the ostrich, the oblivious animal. <laughs> the, um, let me see, uh, verse 19, the horse with the mighty animal, and the free-flying birds of chapter, uh, verses 26 through 30. Now, why do we care that all of these critters have these weird qualities about them that make them less than always useful to us, but they still answer to God? What's the point of all of these things? Matthew 10. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. This is why I say don't stay at the place where I'm worthless and I'm nothing and I'm meaningless before God. What's God doing? In these chapters, he's talking to Job. Do you talk to meaningless things? I mean, other than your complete, you know, lack of self-awareness on occasion. Like, do you argue with your hairbrush? I joke about arguing with the TVs. Does it do me any good to argue with the television? I mean, I'm never going to win the argument. Now, granted, I can't lose the argument either. <laughs> yeah, 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 you've never argued with your phone. I mean, I threatened my tablet in Sunday school this morning. Lou caught me. I put it down. It didn't do what I wanted. I shook my fist at it, and then it did what I wanted. See, you, you got to treat electronics right on occasion. You got to let them know who's boss around here. <laughs> See, we laugh at this because we both know when I shake my fist at my tablet, did I accomplish anything? No. When I yell at my phone, did I accomplish anything? No. When I argue with the TVs, do I accomplish anything? No, because it's a pointless endeavor. In the grand scheme of things, they don't matter. God's talking to Job. For all his nothingness, for all Job's worthlessness, for all his tininess before God, God is still speaking to him because this matters. His creation matters. Go all the way back to Genesis. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You matter because of who you are before God. Now, you may be small and insignificant compared to God, but it is God who has given you meaning. It is God who has condescended to explain to you this world. It is God who has not forgotten you. It is God who has given you purpose. It is God who has redeemed you. It is God who has done all of these things. So, Christian, you ready for the fun question? Who do you think you are? Because if you stop at Nothing in the sight of God, you have missed the work of Christ. You have missed the purpose of creation.
This is why I ask you why you're doing what you're doing. Who do you think you are? I'm a redeemed child of the king. I am welcome in his sight. I am at peace in his courts. I am at home in his presence because of what he has done for me in spite of me, in spite of this world, in spite of the sin, and in spite of all of that, he has rescued by his great work. He has taken my place in my penalty of death, and he has granted me life everlasting. That's who I think I am. Now how do I live? This is why understanding who you are and why you are matters so much. Christian, ask yourself, who do you think you are? Define yourself rightly. Think about it in this world and then live accordingly. These things matter. They always have and they always will. This is why I kept pointing out the positives in Job's answer. Job kept having hints of these things. Why? Because God hadn't forsaken him. Job kept having these little pockets of wisdom and brilliance pop out because God was dragging him along and not losing him. Celebrate that and remember that it is God who is at work. It is he who has redeemed, he who is sanctifying, and he who will carry you to a good end. That's why these definitions matter in light of our meaninglessness. He has loved us still. In spite of our sin, he has redeemed us still. So, God demands an answer. Chapter 40. The Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. So here you go, Job. Here's your chance. You wanted to challenge God and answer him. What have you got to say for yourself? Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. Good job, Job! Perspective is understood. Now understand your life in light of it. One of my, uh, one of my favorite verses, I've told you this, it's actually a good song. I won't torture you by singing it because I, I have a voice today and I don't want to ruin it. Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him matters. Understanding that when we are angry with him, our problem has extended beyond just our circumstances. It has extended to how we see the world and who we think we are at our core. We have messed up by making God in our image and not understanding that we are made in his image. So, Job has understood the folly. Job has seen the error of his ways. We're done here, right? No, no, we are not done here because God is going to beat a dead Job, I guess would be the best way to describe it, and continue on. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. <laughs> Just in case, you know, you thought Job was right there on the cusp of it. No, 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 we're not done yet. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Um, that's not a good place to be, is it? But if you stop and think, is that not a pretty good summary of what Job's entire complaint history has been? I want to stand before God. I want to have my case heard so that when my case is presented before God, God can declare me not guilty and all of you people who have accused me will see that I was the good one. You know, it's, it's like trying to be the one sibling getting kudos before your parents. Like, I'm the good child. It's all those other siblings you had after me that are terrible. 
<laughs> See, you've never once said that about your about your your brothers and sisters, have you? Not even a little bit. <laughs> Or the argument I'm forever having with Cameron is I'll look at her and be like, your children, see, my children don't act like that, but your children, yeah, that's, that's, that's what's going on today, you know. It's never, it's never good when, you know, you get the phone call, your child, oh, uh, what did they do this time? <laughs> I feel like I'm being called by the principal again, you know, your child has done this. <laughs> do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Of course, the answer to that is what? No. Again, this is part of the lesson of creation. Daniel 4, one of my favorite understandings of this. Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of all his bragging, his dominion, talking about God, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, once again, stop, Christian. How do we know God is good? This is one of those foundational arguments from the atheist, right? God is not good. Look at all the evil of the world. Okay. If I gave you that kind of power for 45 minutes, what would you do with it? I'm serious. Because, let's be honest, if we, if, when we lie to ourselves, we say what? You give me the power and wisdom of God for an hour. Here's all the wonderful things that I could do, right? Let's be honest. How many people would you kill? How many scores would you settle? How many arguments would you win? How many wrongs would you try to set right from your point of view? Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. God has had that power from eternity. You're breathing. What did you deserve? You didn't receive it. What does your sin warrant? You haven't received it. This is part of the character of God. This is the understanding of his righteousness and his mercy working together. Always remember the two sides of the coin, right? When we only keep flipping to one side and we see judgment and wrath and destruction, there's mercy and grace and redemption in the midst of those things. It's the message of the prophets. The Babylonians are coming to kill and destroy and pillage and burn everything to the ground, and yet God will send some of you into exile. The Assyrians are coming, and they're going to pillage and burn and destroy and tear everything to the ground. And God will redeem some of you in the midst of that. There is judgment for sin, yes. There is redemption in God at the same time. Always remember, there were eight souls on the ark. God's judgment is measured. It is right. That is how you know he is a good God. He destroys sin. He ends corruption, finally in his kingdom, yes. And in the meantime, he is still providing mercy and grace in spite of us. That is why, again, keeping your perspective is so important. Realizing that it is this level... There it goes, it's messing with me now. I knew I spoke about it. (laughs) Realizing that it is this power that we have no answer for, that we cannot turn back, that we cannot argue with. He could crush us at a moment, and he dies for us. And he redeems us, and he loves us, and he strengthens us, and he carries us forward to a good end. This matters. 
God continues. Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity. Clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden place. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. (laughs) Can Job accomplish those things? Can Job bring justice? No. Can Job bring righteousness to the planet? No. Can God? Yes. He hasn't done it yet. Look at all the sin. If you want all the sin to go away, what also has to go away? I mean, what's the quickest way to get rid of all the sin? Get rid of all the people. (laughs) Get rid of all the people. No more people. No more sinning. Oops. You know who's part of all the people, don't you? I am. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm rather fond of me. (laughs) I assume you're rather fond of you. You would like to not be smited today. I got myself twisted the other day. Always, we want to talk about the fun of the English language. Being smited is bad. Being smitten is good. (laughs) And I got myself all twisted up on which one was which. I'm like, no, we need to smite. Ah! Because it sounds like it should be smitten, right? Shouldn't you, like, you were going to smite someone and they will have been smitten? No, no, those don't mean the same thing. They will have been smited. So, (laughs) I'm big on not being smited, and I'm just going to keep saying that because I'm having too much fun with it now. (laughs) Which means I'm big on him not destroying me this week, or next week for that matter. Like, I'll be okay if we don't destroy me for a really long time. I'm, I'm, I'm really okay with that plan. That's why you haven't seen justice yet, Christian. Because God is not wishing for any to fall, but for all to come to the knowledge of repentance. That's what Second Peter is warning you about. Which means when we look at the world around us, we shouldn't look with condemnation. We should look with pity. We know what the end for this sin is. We know what the end for the world is apart from Christ. What do we want? Because there but for the grace of God go I. Now, in his infinite wisdom and justice, is there coming a day when that sin will be undone? Yes. Will we rejoice at that day? Also, yes, because God's justice will be done and we will rejoice in the presence of his mercy. But Christian, realize that we don't have the power in the here and now. And that is why we build our lives upon him and not on ours, on, our, on ourselves. If I could speak English, we would be all set. We don't build our powers on ourselves. We build our lives upon his word, his instruction, his command, because that is how we are supposed to be living, not the other way around. God continues. Behold now, here's where, here's where Job gets fun, and we, we don't have enough time to try to dig into all of this, but behold now behemoth, which I made as well as you. I would really love for you guys to picture this in your mind. You ready? I had, I've had this argument with two children in the last couple of months. <laughs> Not my, one of them wasn't mine. So, but, so if you want to have some fun, I want you to picture this in your mind, okay? And tell me what you came up with. Behold now behemoth, with which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now his strength in his loins, in his, you know, midsection. His power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. (laughs) Who's confused yet? I, I love this because I, I love reading um, commentaries on things like this. Um, 
One of the suggestions is the hippopotamus with his tail like a cedar tree. <laughs> you ever seen a hippopotamus tail? It's like, nee, nee, nee. <laughs> it's like a little pigtail. Nee, it's, it's like, it's not even good for slapping flies. Um, the elephant is a, is a suggestion. The tail just still doesn't work for me. Um, the, the crocodile is a suggestion, but I don't think the tubes of bronze bones are gonna fit in that one. What you got left? Yeah, see, that's a, yeah. Um, if you want to have some fun, there's a, there's a fun puzzle we put together. Go see if you can find the critter on the puzzle. <laughs> I point that out because yeah, we're basically describing the, uh, the terrible lizard here. Now, if you encountered a dinosaur in your world, how strong would you feel? You've seen Jurassic Park. How well do you think that goes? <laughs> Who does he answer to? God. The mightiest of the mighty. The awesome creatures, whether it's whatever's being described here in, in verses 15 through 18, the, uh, the creature with the same power in 19 through 24. Um, this, you know what, let me read this for a second. He is the first of the ways of God. Let his maker bring near his sword. The mountains bring him food, and all the beasts of the field play there. Under the lotus plant he lies down, and in the covert, in the covert of the reeds and the marsh. The lotus plant covers him with shade. The willows of the brook surround him. If a river rages, he is not alarmed. He is confident, though the Jordan rushes to his mouth. Can anyone capture him when he is on watch? With barbs, can anyone pierce his nose? Is, um... Is this critter worried about anything? Why can't you be like that? Just out of morbid curiosity. Why can't you worry about, why can't you not worry about stuff? Why can't you just be secure in life? Isaiah 31. Woe to those who go to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Why can't you be secure in your own power? Because you are nothing. He is everything. You aren't meant to be secure in your power. You're meant to be secure in his power. You're not meant to be secure in your wisdom and knowledge. You're meant to be secure in his wisdom and knowledge. You are not meant to trust in yourself. You are meant to trust in the Lord. This matters. You look at the world around you and you see it operating seemingly on autopilot, oblivious to you, and you realize that it is God who ordains, God who commands, and I need to make sure that I am following along that I cannot be oblivious to his power, I cannot be oblivious to his commands, but I have to be the one who serves rightly, because otherwise my sin abides, my guilt remains, and I am of all men most to be pitied. But knowing who he is and what he has done frees me from being selfish, frees me from being prideful, frees me from trying to solve the world's problems because they're not my problems to solve. And it frees me to live a life under the glory of God because of who he is, what he has done, and what that means for my eternal home. So, chapter 41. Ah, you, do you command the sea creatures? Can you drop into the ocean and go, hey, you, critter, come here. Are you Aquaman? <laughs> the most picked on of all the superheroes. Can you imagine, can you imagine how vain we are as a people? We're like, Aquaman talks to the fish. He's so useless. <laughs> We're like, of all the superpowers, don't give me that one. <laughs> What's the point of everything here? 
God has asked, Job has how many answers? None, because in, in all of this, Job's being shown to be as, as useless as anything. Acts chapter 19. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of, G- of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. That's never a good formula, by the way. Never a good formula. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So there's seven sons going around trying to cast out demons according to Paul's power. That going to end well? The evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. Who are you? <laughs> I would pay money to be in the room to see the look on their faces at that moment when you are confronted with the manifestation of evil, the powers of this world and the darkness that surrounds it, and they look at you and go, and you are? This is the driving question of humanity and life. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others still say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Christian, who do you think you are? It matters in this world. This is the driving question that Job has to answer. Who do you think you are? You have been confronted with the power, majesty, and wisdom of God. Who are you? Because if your answer is no one, you've missed his work. Repent and believe the good news. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are him who has died and given yourself for me. You have conquered death in the grave and you have handed me eternal life by your great grace and mercy and you have commanded me on how I should go and you have empowered me by your spirit so that I will not fall astray and that I cannot fail in this present world. That's who I think I am. Am I right? (laughs) Who are you? Why are you? What do you do in the meantime? That's the true question behind all of this, is when confronted with the sin of the world, when confronted with the power of God, how do you answer and why do you answer that way? If your trust is in your wisdom or your trust is in your goodness or your trust is in your family or your trust is in your answer to Bible trivia questions, your trust is in the wrong place. But if it is found in Christ, in his redeeming work, then we cannot lose because we stand on the side of, thank you, all that has been accomplished in all of this power. Let's pray.